Amen. You may be seated. So if you have your Bible, you can turn along with me to Hebrews chapter number 7. And we're going to pick up at verse number 11. So Hebrews chapter 7 uh, at verse number 11. <clears throat> and we're going to focus our hearts this afternoon or this morning slash afternoon on uh, Jesus. Our Savior is Jesus alone. And uh, the writer says this, Now if perfection, and I'll explain that, uh, had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn, and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So far the reading of God's word, and may he write it upon the tablets of our hearts. Well, uh, again, I want to focus our hearts upon uh, the big question of what, uh, why we are Protestants. Um, and to be a Protestant is to be a Reformed Catholic. Catholic just means a universal. Uh, and so a Catholic is a Christian. That's really what it meant in the ancient church. And to be a Protestant is to be a Reformed Catholic. So uh, I don't take those things as exclusively of one another. Uh, we are Catholics. We don't want to give up, our, give up that, that term, I would say. Uh, we are Catholics, but we're Reformed Catholics. Uh, and to be a Protestant then, as a Reformed Catholic, it means that your life and your faith uh, and our church and our churches are founded upon the Word of God. They're founded upon... The Word of God. That was our, that was our message this morning. Uh, but uh, these, uh, uh, these are more uh, historical, these, these ideas of you know, Protestant and Reformed and what Catholic means, sort of historical you know, debates and theological claims. Uh, but let's get personal, right? Let's get personal. That, that's what we want uh, as we hear and read the Word. Uh, you're at a birthday party. Your Roman Catholic family members are all there, Right? Probably many of us have, have, have Catholic family members. I, I do. Uh, 
Can you answer to them? When they ask you why and explain, you know, why do you believe that you personally are saved? How do you know that you're saved? Or let's say you're at your kid's soccer game, and uh, one of the, the, the team mom is a, is a Roman Catholic, and she asks, you know, about church, and just pops up in conversation. You say, oh, well, you know, I just learned that I'm a Protestant. Uh, I'm a Reformed Catholic. And then team mom says, well, what do you believe about your salvation? How would you answer that? My pastor knows the pastor will give you the right answer. Just come to church with me. He'll tell you. It's not, an, it's not good enough for your kids to say, well, my mom or dad knows what it means to belong to Jesus. It's not good enough for you to rely upon, as your, your children rely upon you as parents, it's not good enough for you to rely upon your pastor, uh, your church, or even your tradition. You personally need to know why it is that you are safe. And so that brings us to uh, another theme to consider uh, in terms of why we are Protestant is who saves you? Who is the Savior? Not just in general, but who saves you? Who is your Savior? Who is your Savior? So we'll come to Hebrews 7 in just, uh, in just a moment. Now, uh, first of all, just again to kind of set it up in terms of what the Roman Catholic Church says, and I'll just give you a couple, uh, couple points to, th- to consider. Uh, Rome has, a conf- I would say, a confused confession of faith. On the one hand, the Roman Catholic Church agrees uh, with all Christians in all times and in all places with the words of the angel who told uh, Joseph that Mary's son was going to be named Jesus. And why was he going to be, be named Jesus? What does, that mean? what does that name mean, Jesus? He will save his people from their sins. I'm assuming we all, when we all named our children, those of us as kids, we, we, the name had some significance to us, right? <laughs> Names have meaning. You know, they, they mean something. So uh, I have two of my kids here. Their names have meaning, and you can ask them about, I think they know the name, meaning of their names. Caden is shaking his head. No, oh my goodness. Caden, you've got to have the I, though. That's the, that's the official Gaelic spelling. We're Irish. And so Caden with an I means little fighter. Little fighter, and he was, actually was the smallest of our four kids, believe it or not. So um, he literally was a little fighter in the womb, and he came out. So um, there you go. There you go. So names have meaning, right? They, they have significance. Jesus, the angel said to Joseph, you're, 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 uh, Mary's g- going to bear a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. Jesus, uh, which comes from uh, the, uh, the, the Hebrew name is Yehoshua, the Lord is salvation, or the Lord saves uh, and the Roman Catholic Church agrees with that. I mean, who doesn't? That's what, that's what the, the word of God says. That's what the angel said. Uh, the Catholic Church affirms the words, the Nicene Creed, just like we do, that the Son of God for us and for our salvation came down out of heaven to save us. So he's the Savior, right? On the one hand, the Roman Catholic Church affirms that. Uh, yet when the Roman Catholic Church's leaders responded to the Reformation, as I mentioned earlier, uh, at what was called the Council of Trent, they said things that contradict that, uh, make that sound somewhat confusing and somewhat difficult. Here's what I mean. Uh, here's a sample, uh, sample quote. Um, the, the, there's a catechism of the Council of Trent that has questions and answers, just like ours does, the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, and when the, the Council of Trent, the Catechism of Trent, uh, spoke of giving thanks in prayer to God, right? We give thanks to, to God in prayer. 
Here's what it said. The church, quote, the church of God has justly or rightly added prayers also to, notice the, 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 the prepositions here, to or uh, 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 this language of to or of, added prayers to uh, and invocation of the most holy mother of God. Okay, so this language of adding, we add prayers, the church said, to and we invoke or we ask, we ask the help of the most holy mother of God. And then it went on to say this, speaking of the Virgin Mary, uh, by which prayers we mightly, we, we might, uh, we devote, uh, sorry, we, we devoutly and suppliantly, we mean we ask, uh, we fly to her. So by prayer, we fly to the Virgin Mary. I mean, we go to her, right? We go to her. Why? That, quote, by her intercession, she may conciliate God to us sinners and obtain for us those blessings which we stand in need of in this life and in the life to come. So, on the one hand, Jesus is the Savior. But yet, the Catholic Church said and still affirms that Mary, in this language, is described as doing the same things that Jesus does. He intercedes, or she intercedes, just like he does. She reconciles sinners, just like Jesus does. And she obtains the blessings of salvation, just like Jesus does. Okay? By her intercession, she might conciliate, meaning to reconcile us to God and to obtain for us the blessings that we need in this life as well as in the life to come. Because we are, quote, exiled children of Eve, meaning we are sinners, because we're sinners, who dwell in this valley of tears, life is a valley of tears, we ought, therefore, quote, earnestly to beseech the mother of mercy and the advocate of the faithful people to pray for us sinners. Now, on the one hand, a Roman Catholic friend or your loved one is, is going to say, well, we don't, we, don't pray, uh, we don't pray directly to Mary as if she's God. No, we ask Mary to pray for us. That's usually what they say. But we pray to her, the Catholic Church says, as the mother of mercy, she's the advocate of the faithful people. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with saying Mary is the mother of mercy? 1 Peter chapter 1 describes God, the Father, as the Father of all mercy. She's being described in God-like terms. What's wrong with calling her advocate? That's what Jesus is. If anyone of us does sin, I just mentioned a few moments ago, if anyone of us does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Who is that advocate? Jesus Christ, the righteous. So she's described in these terms of, uh, these divine terms. Uh, why should Mary be invoked in prayer? The, the, the Catechism of the Catholic Church uh, of the Council of Trent went on to ask. And the answer was this, to implore by this prayer aid and assistance from her whose exalted merits with God and whose earnest desire to assist mankind by her prayers, it were impious and wicked for anyone to doubt. Meaning, if you don't believe that she has more merit than is necessary to save sinners, you're an impious person. You're an impious person. You're a wicked person. Mary is said to have more merit than she needed. And in fact, therefore, she takes her merits and she transfers them to you. What does that sound like? That's what, that's what, we call that justification, don't we? Jesus, his righteous works, his obedience, his holiness. When we trust in him, he transfers that to you. 
But here in, the, in this prayer, the, the Catholic Church says that we are praying that because Mary does that. So, so she's described as, as, uh, as, as God is, the, the Father of all mercy. She's described as uh, the advocate, which Jesus is. She's described as the one who reconciles us to God, the one who intercedes uh, between God and us. And she's described as one who is meritorious to bring you to salvation, to give you all the blessings of salvation. And if you ask them, well, why? You know, why is Mary, you know, described this way? And, but more, more fundamentally, why is that important? Why is that necessary for you as a Catholic, if you ask? And usually the answer goes something like this. Mother knows best. <laughs> Mother knows best. You know, Jesus, you know, we say in the Apostles' Creed, he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is judge. That's a fearful thing. But mother always knows best, doesn't she? If, if dad says, you know, don't go out without your helmet on the bike, and you crash, and, you, you know, and your knees and your elbows and everything is all scratched up, and you're bleeding, and you're limping back home, you know, dad's going to say, you know, I told you so, but mother always knows best. She has the Band-Aids ready. She has the, she has the Neosporin ready. You know, for the, for the scratches in her knee. Mother always knows best. That's how the Catholic Church describes Mary. That's how she is uh, understood in contrast even to Jesus. So it's important for us to understand that on the one hand, there's a confession of Jesus being the Savior. They confess the same creed that we just confessed this morning. On the other hand, Mary is described in God-like terms, in divine terms, in, in the terms that are described of, of Jesus. So um, the idea then is that we, that, that, that we are to fear Jesus, but we are to fly to Mary. Fear Jesus, because he's the judge. Fly or go to Mary. She is mother, and she will always receive fearful sinners. Now, we only have one mediator. So that's what we want to focus our hearts on here in Hebrews chapter 7 then, in contrast to that, right? So first big point, if you want to focus on sort of who Jesus is here, uh, he is our alone mediator. He is our alone mediator. So unless your head has been in the sand and you're just wiped out by uh, your kids and work all week, which is though all of us with kids, right? I guess even grandkids, you know, probably run, run you ragged throughout the week. So uh, you'll know, though, that there's a lot of protesting going on in the world right now. You've probably seen that in the news. I'm assuming we've all seen that on the news or just on Twitter news or whatever it is, you know, it is that you get your news from. There's a lot of protesting going on in the world. Um, and you probably saw like some of these college students, you know, wrote this, you know, they, they add their names, these letters of protest, you know, to, to, to college presidents about, you know, what's going on in, uh, in, in, in the Middle East. Um, and then a lot of them kind of retracted it once these like Fortune 500 companies came out and said, you know, we want lists from Harvard of all these kids who wrote these letters and they're not going to get hired. By us, you probably saw that, and then all of a sudden, immediately, like multiple kids were renouncing the statement. Take your names off. You see that? You see that? So, um, all right, making sure, making sure. Okay, um, am I am I am I only one reading this this news? Anybody else? Um, so, there's a lot of people who protest who are just, who are just clueless, right? They don't know. They don't really know. Like the, one of the presidents of some student group on, on Harvard said, "Well, I didn't actually read the letter very closely." You know, um, it's like, "Well, you're the president of the student group. You didn't read the letter very closely." Um, so we can, we can protest, you know, well, I'm not Catholic, right? But we've got to know positively uh, what it is that we believe. So 
We believe that Jesus alone is our mediator. The Son of God became man that man might be led back to God. That's a fundamental gospel truth, right? That Jesus, the Son of God, came down from heaven to earth to save us. And here in Hebrews 7, then, uh, the inspired author makes this big point that Jesus is better than, he's greater than uh, the Levitical priesthood, the priests of the Old Testament. So book of, Le- uh, book of Leviticus, third book of the Bible. And he says, if perfection, which in the book of Hebrews doesn't mean, you know, what we think of perfection, uh, doesn't, doesn't mean uh, sinlessness. No, it means that you're able to have fellowship with God. So to be made perfect is to be able to have fellowship with God. So if perfection, if being able to have fellowship with God had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one after, uh, named after uh, the order of Aaron? In other words, the, the law of God, Moses, God through Moses to the Israelites in Leviticus, uh, commanded and prescribed a priesthood, and it came from the line uh, the lineage, the family uh, of Levi. But then later on in our Old Testament, and you can see that quote there in verse 17, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Where does that come from? That little indented verse 17, where does that come from? Anybody know? Abraham. Uh, not, not Abraham. Well, so Melchizedek and Abraham, yes. Uh, so Genesis 14. But that particular quote comes from another part of the Old Testament. Psalm 110, right? So Melchizedek is only mentioned three times in the Bible. Genesis 14, Psalm 110, and right here in Hebrews chapter number 7. So God gave Moses a law to give the Israelites. There's going to be a priesthood. They come from the family line of Levi. But strangely, interestingly, later on in the Bible, David, the author of Psalm 110, David then speaks in this really strange psalm, the Lord said to my Lord, that's really strange, isn't it? And then he, the, the Lord describes his Lord as also being a priest, but notice, not in the order of Aaron or the order of Levi, but the order of Melchizedek, right? So there's something interesting, something strange going on here. And, and the author even admits there, notice in verse 13, as I read, uh, that uh, he, uh, he had even admits that Jesus belonged to another tribe. So which tribe or family line did Jesus belong to? Judah, right? There's the 12 sons of Jacob, Genesis 49. Uh, and one of them is the tribe of Judah. So Levi is a priestly line. Judah is a line of, of whom in the Old Testament? Like who comes to the line of Judah? Kings. Kings. Good. So the, the author is even admitting this. Hey, we, we, we believers in Jesus as Messiah, we admit, we, we fully acknowledge that Jesus came from a different tribe, the, the, the tribe of Judah, the line of the kings. Then he says, from which no one has ever served the altar, meaning these aren't the line of priests, right? They didn't altar, uh, bring sacrifices before God in the temple uh, in earlier the tabernacle. But Jesus, Jesus' priesthood is not on the base of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent like the Levites were based on. But verse 16 says, but by the power of an indestructible life, meaning his resurrection from the dead. There's something greater about Jesus. And therefore, the legal priesthood, uh, verse 19 says, is set aside because it was weak and useless. But in its place, by the resurrection of Jesus, this order of Melchizedek, a better hope, verse 19, a better hope 
is introduced through which we draw near to God. What he's saying is that the Old Testament priests acted as mediators between God and the people, but they were unable to give them that eternal reality, that eternal fellowship between God and them. They couldn't do that. It's kind of like what I said earlier from Corinthians, where Paul describes ministers, even apostles, as just servants, right? Just stewards of God's mysteries. Apostles are human beings. Preachers are human beings. We can't ourselves give you that everlasting salvation. It only comes from God. So there's something about the priesthood that was only meant to be like a temporary kind of outward picture of what fellowship with God looked like. And it required sacrifice, it required offerings, and following all these laws. And that's where Jesus comes in, he says. That's where Jesus comes in. Now, when I read Hebrews 7, did you hear me mention, or did you hear the writer ever mention the Virgin Mary? There's not a hint here of not just the Virgin Mary, but any saint anyone else, anything else other than Jesus. And his priesthood, he says, verse 20 and 21, is by an oath of the Lord himself. An oath of the Lord himself. And the Levites, he says, never had this. They didn't have this, this oath from God. And then he concludes in verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. And he even gives an illustration of that. Notice verse 23 and 24. Uh, how come there were so many Old Testament priests? Because they, they all died, right? Yeah, I mean, first of all, they all died, right? I mean, they, they couldn't do the thing that they were supposed to do because they're just mere mortals, is the point. I mean, if you read in Leviticus 10, at one point, uh, there, there's, uh, there, there, there's Aaron and his four sons, and, the, and uh, Nadab and Abihu, so they're all priests, right? Aaron's the high priest and there's four priests. His two of his sons, Nadab and Abihu, decide to go, you know, offer up some strange offering that God never commanded. And what does God do? God's like, you want to offer me some strange fire? I got some fire for you. Boom, right? And they're toast, literally toast. They're done. Like in one fell swoop, God himself wipes out one half of the priesthood. These are just mere mortals. These are sinners. Uh, they couldn't do the thing that the, that the priesthood was pointing towards, which is fellowship with God. So he's a guarantor of a better priesthood. Now, these priests were, as he says, there were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, right? So, you know, if there was a human priest in the order of, 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 of Levi, you know, that, that lived forever and can bring us this salvation, surely it would have happened, but it didn't. Jesus holds his priesthood permanently, verse 24, because he continues forever. So there were many priests back then. Now how many priests are there? There's one high priest, Jesus. Now we're all called priests too, but there's one high priest, Jesus Christ, who's once for all offering, that once for all language is so important in the book of Hebrews, that once for all offering uh, brings us salvation. All those old priests died. He lives forever. Notice the contrast there. And then we read these amazing words, verse 25. It's one of those great verses that, you know, you want to teach our kids and we want to memorize. Consequently, because of all this, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost all of those who come to God through him, right? Notice that. Through him. Through him. 
He's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. So to put it in like Roman Catholic Hebrew 7 contrast, we don't need Mary's intercession because we have Jesus' intercession. That's what he's saying here. We don't need Mary to reconcile us to God because Jesus has already done that. He saves to the uttermost. We don't need any other blessings that she might be able to obtain for us because he's already obtained them all. We don't need her advocacy because he lives forever to be our advocate. Or to put it this way, Jesus doesn't need Mary's cooperation. He is able. He is able, right? He is able. He doesn't need anyone else. What a mediator he is. The power of an indestructible life. A better hope that he brings to us. He guarantees to us a better covenant. He continues forever. He's able to save. He always lives to make intercession for us. So he alone is our mediator. And then secondly, notice this as well, that he is also an approachable mediator. Jesus is an approachable mediator. Okay? So again, you know, we might have loved ones who are still in Roman Catholicism, and direct access to God through Jesus is, you know, it's just not normal. It's just not, it's just kind of unheard of for a lot of Roman Catholics. It's just not how you do it, you know. Yeah, you pray, you can pray, but, you know, there's always like, even if you pray to God, even if you pray in the name of Jesus, you're always like also praying to various saints. They're kind of come alongside, you know, because you're, 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 you're afraid to go to God. He's a judge. Like, so you got to mention a saint or two to kind of like, Get God on your side and make him not send down fire from heaven, right? And turn into a piece of toast, okay? Uh, think of it like this. And I never played football. My older brother is a football coach, so I'll, I'll take it on his authority that this is legit, okay? This is legit stuff here, so. So in football, you try, let's say you're trying to run the ball up the middle, right? You hand off the ball to the running back to go up the middle. It's like the fastest way to get from point A to point B is a straight line. So that's why they always run up the middle. And of course, kids watching football and sometimes, dare I say, even wives watching football, like why run up the middle? There's like a million guys right there. Well, it's the fastest way to get from point A to point B. Um, so run the ball up the middle, right? But you're trying to do it against the best defense that American football has ever seen. Like you know, those like great defenses of the past, like these great names, like the Steel Curtain, you know? You don't run against the steel curtain, do you? Uh, the fearsome foursome. Ever heard of those guys? The, the purple people eaters. I mean, who wants to run and get the ball against the purple people eaters? You know, any Viking fans in the house today? Right? Uh, the monsters of the midway, you know, the Chicago Bears, right? So imagine trying to run the ball up against like this greatest of defenses in the history of, you know, NFL football. But instead of giving the ball to your running back, and having him face like these fearful odds, right? These fearful opponents. Instead, you like do like an end around, right? Or like a sweep. Or on, you try to run the ball on the outside to get around the defense. So in Roman Catholicism, Jesus is Mean Joe Green. No one's laughing. Okay? <laughs> Jesus is like the most feared opponent defender you've ever imagined. Like, you know. From my, back in my day, like the fridge, but yet he can move, you know. <laughs> Jesus is to be feared. You don't go right into Jesus. He's the judge of the living and the dead. Instead, you do like the end around. You try to go around Jesus, and how do you do that? You go to the Virgin Mary. 
you go to Mary, right? Mother always knows best. We believe that Jesus, though, is our approachable mediator. Again, verse 27, Jesus is, is able to save to the uttermost, right? All ability, all the power is in him. To do what? To save sinners to the uttermost. This is not a temporary salvation. This is not a partial salvation. The uttermost, the whole thing. Who or whom? Those who draw near to God. And again, notice that through him. Through him. There's no reason that Jesus should cause you to fear, leading you to seek a friendlier mediator. There's no one in heaven or on earth who loves you more than Jesus Christ. Who loves you more than the one who invites the weary, saying, Come to me, all who weary, uh, who are weary and who are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Who loves you more than the one who says this, Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his what? His friends. Who loves you more than the one whose love surpasses knowledge, Paul said. What in all creation, whether friend or foe, angel or demon, pastor or pope, will be able to separate you from God's love in Jesus Christ, Romans 8. Jesus shows us that he loves us more than any other by stepping out of eternity into time, leaving his fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit for the rejection of his own people in the world, setting aside that glorious kingship of being in the form of God, to being made nothing, Philippians 2, taking the form of a servant. But what about the saints? What about the Virgin Mary? What about them? We, we praise God for them. We praise God for their examples to us. I, I prayed this morning uh, that, we, that we bless God uh, and, we, and we bless his holy name for all of his servants who have departed this life in his faith and fear. And we beseech God to give us grace so to follow the saints' good examples, that with them we might be partakers of his heavenly kingdom. We bless God for all those who have gone before us. But Christians in the ancient church only turned to the saints out of distrust of Jesus' promises. And so honoring the saints in that way of invoking them, praying to them, asking them to pray for us, to help us, etc., 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 honoring them in that way actually dishonors them. Actually dishonors them. Why? Because the saints never received prayers or required prayers to be made to them. Never. Peter, the first, supposed first pope, didn't accept it either. He once told Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, Stand up! I too am just a man! When Cornelius tried to venerate him. But I'm so unworthy, Pastor, to pray to God directly because of my sins. If you really knew what was in my heart and my mind, you, you, would, you would agree with me. Don't go to Jesus. Go to Mary. Right? Go around. I'm too unworthy. But you're missing the point of prayer if that's your objection. We don't offer prayer to God because we're worthy. That's not what prayer is. We offer prayer because Jesus is worthy. Amen? His righteousness is ours by faith. Again, listen to Hebrews 7. On the basis of Christ's unchangeable priesthood, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's able. 
He has the ability and the authority, the right and the might to save. And so approach Jesus. Approach the Savior. God knew. Do you you realize this? God knew when he sent Jesus to the world, he knew he was sending him for sinners. When Jesus came to this earth, he knew he was coming for you as a sinner. It's not about your worthiness. It's not about what you can bring to God. No, it's about just simply coming to him through his son, offering yourself, asking him to help uh, in your time of need. So uh, he alone is our savior, or he alone is our mediator. He's an approachable mediator. And then finally, uh, I want you to see, see something here about uh, our ability to pray. Our ability to pray. Because of what Jesus has done for you uh, as your mediator, whom you can approach, I want you to then think about your ability to pray. Uh, are you one of those who draw near to God through Jesus? That's described in Hebrews 7.25. Are you one of those? Those who draw near to God through him. If so, meaning you're a believer, because Jesus intercedes for you, he ever lives to make intercession, right? Because Jesus intercedes for you at the right hand of God, you can intercede with God. All of your ability to pray comes from Jesus, who is able to save the uttermost. So it's not about your personal ability. It's about the ability that comes to you from God. And so every single one of us is like an ancient Israelite, and we are, we are camped around the Lord's tabernacle in the wilderness. But it's because Jesus, who has gone into the courtyard of the tabernacle, there would be a big curtain around it. He went into the courtyard, just like the priest would. And Jesus himself offered himself on the altar of burnt offering. That's where all the offerings were were offered to God and sacrificed. He then rose again, and he washed himself in the bronze basin of water. The priests would wash their hands and their feet from from all the dirt and all the blood. And he then went into the Holy of Holies, and he ripped the curtain down that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place from everybody else. There are all these divisions and all these dividing walls. He ripped them all down tore him down. And there was a great veil between the, uh, right in front of the Holy of Holies. He tore it in two, we read in the gospel story. And Jesus then walked into the Holy of Holies. And what did he do? He sat down on top of the ark. Right? The ark of the covenant had a lid on it. And what was on top of the lid? Two angels, right? It's called the mercy seat. Two angels there. And they're covering themselves because they're looking at God. That's described in the Bible as a throne of God. You know that? The Ark of the Covenant was a throne of God. Jesus walked in there, as it were, and he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God between those wings of the cherubim. And so he calls you then to follow him. To follow him. That's why Hebrews chapter 4 says in those very famous words that no, uh, no doubt you know, Uh, He says in verse 14, Hebrews 4, verse 14, let us then with confidence draw near, where? To the throne of grace. What do you think that is? That's the very holy of holies itself, where God, where our Lord Jesus Christ is seated. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. To find mercy and help in time of need. It's not that you have to pray, right? The, you know, prayer is not, not, it's not a chore. 
It's not like mark it off and just get it done because you got to do it every single day or you're not a good Christian, you're not a good pious Christian. It's not that you have to pray. That you, it's that you get to pray. You get to pray. Why? Because Jesus Christ has gone already before you to the right hand of God where he's interceding, and he calls you to follow him. He invites you. One old hymn says it like this, Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off your guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. With confidence I now draw nigh. And Father, Abba, Father, cry. So, to come back to what we started with, do you know what it is to be a Protestant? Do you know why you're a Protestant? It's not good enough to say because I'm not Catholic. It's not good enough. To be a Protestant is, is to be founded upon the word we saw. And it's to find life in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Let's pray. We thank you, Lord. We bless you. We praise you for the, the wonderful work of our Lord Jesus Christ and the words that uh, proclaim him to us. And we ask that you would write these words upon our consciences and upon our hearts, upon our minds, Lord. Uh, impress them deeply upon our souls. Uh, your word is like a, like, like a living and active two-edged sword and it can slice, Lord, by the law and humble us in our sins, but also, Lord, it's meant to uh, protect us from the evil one and to keep sin far from us. May that word penetrate deeply into our hearts and cause us to humble ourselves and to turn from ourselves to Jesus. To Jesus. He, tell, he told his disciples, and he says to us even, he said, follow me. Follow me. We, we come today to do that. And we ask that you would send us out into the world to follow after you and to pray with great joy and confidence and to read and meditate upon the word uh, with great assurance. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, amen. Uh, let's let's uh, stand and uh, receive a little benediction. And then uh, uh, if... I guess uh, normally there's some Q&A time. Is that, is, that, is that kosher? Is that the normal? Okay, so uh, I'll do the benediction, and then uh, if, you'd like, if you need to leave, that's fine. Uh, if you'd like to stick around, ask some questions, that'd be great. Uh, so the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.